The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategies. 40 Strategies built to make strategy work for small to medium-sized organizations by designing world-class strategic plans and help keeping them accountable to actually get it done. To learn more, go to 40strategy.com. We're really excited. We've recently launched our book, Lost at CEO. It's now available on Amazon, Audible, barnesandnoble.com. We've had incredible reviews from those who've read it. We encourage you to pick it up. We like to commonly have a thank you, a shout out for people there. And we this one is Ben Joyo. Ben is with Influence with a Heart, and he had our recommendation to our guest here today, who is Wendy Fisher. Wendy was a member of the U.S. national ski team and earned a spot in the 1992 Winter Olympic team in Albertville, France. She transitioned then into big mountain skiing, and she'll tell you about that story coming up here, and became a two-time world extreme skiing champion. By way of competitions and filming, she became recognized as one of the top skiers in the world. And she helped change the level of female skiers perspective in that because you were relatively new in, in that field at that period of time. And she also loves DJing, speaking, being a life coach and off-road rallies. Uh, she is very adventurous, as you'll learn here as to hit listener story. And she's also the mom of two boys who happen to be involved in skiing as well. Wendy, welcome to the Medicine Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for um, having me on. So, Wendy, we we did our prep conversation and even earlier talking today. You have a really fascinating story. You know, often that we have our three types of humans and guests. I talk about we have our CEOs, kind of traditional business stuff. We have our authors, and then we have our extraordinary achievers. And and you fit into that category absolutely. So let's go back to like when you were young and you started this path to become the best skier you can be. Tell us about that process of what it took to become on the Olympic team. You know, it's different for everybody. And um, that's what's unique about athletes and, and their path. And, you know, I grew up, uh, my parents moved us to Lake Tahoe uh, to have us ski all the time. And that was the main sport that my brothers and I participated in. And I don't really recall wanting to do it. I, I don't think it was a choice. It was just, this is what we do. And we were put on the Squaw Valley ski team, now um, Palisades, and just started ski racing, but we free skied a lot. I mean, back then it was just about being out on the ski slope and having fun. And then as I got older, um, started going around the gates and doing well. And I guess I liked it. You know, I don't remember complaining or, or not wanting to be there too much. But as I got just a little bit older, um, 11 and 12, winning the races. And then um, we had to leave. My brother, I also, uh, we, my, my older brother also went away to high school. We had to go away to high school because the local high school, you know, skiing is not a school sport. So they don't really support it. And in the winter, you miss a lot of ski school. 
So we had to make a decision to go away um, and find a place that would let us be able to keep skiing and get an education. So I went to a school called Berkman Academy in Vermont, and it's just a ski academy. And um, that really changed my life because I went from, you know, a small ski program to also a school that there weren't many ski competitive ski racers. And then I'm in this atmosphere of everybody sleeps, breathes, talks, skiing. So you wake up in the morning and you run every morning, then you have a time period of classes, then you have soccer practice, then you have another dry land, and then you're all just chasing gates together. And I used to, the school made you journal about every semester. And my first semester, um, I just recently reread my writings and I wrote in there how I just loved being in an environment where everybody was like-minded and um, everyone was pushing each other. So it it could have been a very um, intimidating atmosphere and it kind of was, but I love being away from home and I, you know, it's sad to say, but I didn't miss my parents. I didn't miss the school and the community I was in. And so that helped. Um, I loved working out and I got very more competitive than I even knew I had it in me. And so I just, I totally thrived in the environment and ended up my sophomore year making the ski team. The interesting part of this that I want to share is even though I was a top skier in the West, when I went to Burke, I was one of five girls who was going there to be in the freshman class. All the other girls were from the East Coast. And the headmaster told my parents that most likely I was not going to survive more than two years because I was really petite and I was from the West Coast. And they just didn't think we were tough enough to handle it. But then the next year, I was one of the classmates who made the U.S. ski team. Wow. So here you are, you you now on this path, right, of, of being on the U.S. ski team. And skiing is a little bit different than perhaps like a soccer team, like you're mentioning earlier, right? Soccer team, by definition, everybody's kind of working together to win. While you're still trying to win as a team, it's very much an individualistic sport, right? You're all alone on the slopes when you're going down the hill and racing down there. So what was that like when there's this team camaraderie, but at the same time, you're trying to get a spot, right? To be the best you can be and ultimately race, race for your country. Yeah, so... In high school, there's just a bunch of us and you had different people to socialize with because there, you know, there's 70 something kids at the school. But then when I traveled the ski team, it becomes very small. And, you know, my when I first made the ski team, there's probably 15 of us who made the training team. And so you definitely were able to bounce off and develop friendships with some of the teammates. But then as I started to climb the ladder, like getting to the top of the pyramid, you have less people that you're traveling with. And yeah, like you said, it's a team sport, but it's really individual. Um, We're a team and there's only one in the US, right? There's only one US ski team in the US. So if you want to be racing for the United States, you have to be a part of this team. You can't be a part of just other, any other branch of ski federation. So as it's very selective. And so the next thing you know, you're only traveling with maybe four or five girls and you have to drive together, fly together, eat together, sleep together, because you share rooms, you're in the van together. And so it becomes very challenging socially, or it was for me. And you kind of look to your teammates, like I said, that's how you become better, engage yourself. Well, I felt like my teammates were almost more my enemies than my friends at times, because you wanted to beat them. Because if they beat you, then you might not be on the U.S. ski team or you might not be able to go to the Olympics. So you're very competitive with your own teammates. And 
the energy and atmosphere, once I got to the highest level on the U.S. ski team, it just wasn't clicking for me. I still was kind of a social butterfly. I like to laugh, goof around. And so the difference for me is, you know, we talk about goals and I knew to write Olympics on my goal sheet when coaches handed out, cause I'd be dumb not to, and to see myself on a podium, those were all things you were told to envision. I just never did. I, um, of course I hoped I made the Olympics, but my attitude was if I go out every day and just try to be a better ski racer, I'll climb the ladder. So it wasn't that I was, I need to make the Olympics and I need to perform better for that goal. It was like, I just want to keep getting better. And so that was kind of my attitude. So, yeah, so the hard part for me was kind of not having a great camaraderie with my teammates and having that competitiveness all the time. So, you know, you might be rooming with a roommate who really doesn't even care for you much. So you you get this isolation. And I just wanted to also keep it fun still and have a friendship and laugh at the start. And I realized it was becoming more of a business or, or just so serious. And it wasn't really my personality. And I started to kind of spiral out. And then I also went through an eating disorder. And because I was sad other ways, you know, you end up tying on more things and you just get lower and lower and lower. So I did make the Olympics and that was just, you know, I was still skiing really well, luckily, but I was battling mentally big time to even hang on. And I put a few more years in it, but people could just see that I was losing focus in my energy. And, and so then eventually I had to quit the ski team which was very, very hard. I, you know, I thought I was going to be on it forever. And that was such a, I I just loved it so much. I thought I was burnt out, but now that I reflect back on my career, I wasn't burnt out um, because I still loved working hard, getting up and training, skiing gates. I just lost my heart in the whole competitive racing world. And if I recall, because you were in college as well as that time, is that right? Well, when I left the ski team, then I went to college and I skied for a college. Got it. Okay. So then, so then you can do on how long did you now, um, where were you at and how long were you doing college skiing then? Yeah. So I did not want to do college skiing, but it was a free, you know, free education. They offered me a scholarship. So I thought I should take it, but I just, I, I mean, I could barely even get in a starting gate. So it was here in about a college. It happened to be in my hometown. So I moved back home And I remember my very first race, um, even before the first race, I was hardly training. So I went from dedicating my life to working out so hard, showing up for training. I never, I never was really hurt. So I never had time off to like, let my body heal or my mental side heal. I just was always grinding and grinding. So now I'm skiing for college and I just could care less. I'm like, I mean, I'm not trying to get on the U.S. ski team anymore. I just didn't really want to put the energy into it. So my coach seated me really back in my very first college race. And I remember I got to the start and I saw some old former teammates and we just started catching up and chit chatting and I was having fun. I got in the starting gate and literally like said goodbye to people as I was pushing out. And I went down and won the first run by a second, the second run by a second, won the race. And, you know, there were still some really competitive ski racers. A lot of former Olympians had just retired and also gone to the school and is the best I'd skied in two years. And I was like, what just happened? And it, it was a great eye opener started to understand and relate that what my personality was and what type of competitor I was and what went wrong. So 
you know, when I left the ski team, I thought I just became a horrible skier and didn't know how to ski anymore, but it was really an energy thing. You know, I just lost my heart in it. And when I'm in a happy and go lucky and, and I don't like to focus on the task at hand either. If I'm someone who analyzes the course in my technique so much, then I kind of choke. And that's common too, like with athletes too. So it's learning how to let go. And for me to let go of over-focusing was to be social. And it was hard to be social on the world cup. Okay. So one of the other challenges that you had is you, you've had really challenging. I mean, you've had some tragedy that has happened in your life as well. That really had an impact. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Cause I, there were some really significant events. I think that probably all had to do with your mindset and what was taking place throughout. I mean, even today, I think what has happened to you. Yeah. So when I was seven and skiing with uh, the Squaw Valley ski team and my older brothers were on the team and we were playing a game uh, one spring day and we're skiing really fast. Anyway, I, I was trying to keep up with my older brothers. My middle brother is 11. My oldest brother is 13 and the team. But I saw a teammate get on the chairlift. So I followed her and she weighed at the top and said, uh, Wendy, uh, your brother fell. And she took me to him. And I skied up to him and this is my oldest brother. He was 13 and I bent over and looked at his face and um, saw his blue lips. And for the first time, just remembering, uh, thinking of the word or just acknowledging that he was dead. And so, you know, again, I'm a lot older now. I've kind of processed my past in certain situations. And for me, my parents kept telling me we became skiers because my older brother, he wanted to ski all the time. And there's maybe a little brainwashing that my dad would just always repeat all these stories of how much he loved skiing, how much he took care of me. So it really got ingrained to me that I, I do know I skied for myself and I truly loved it. But there's also a part that I look back and I really feel like I was skiing for him as well. He didn't get the opportunity to. So when I was losing my focus and energy in the ski racing world, I used to talk to him all the time. I just felt like I was letting him down. It was really, really hard to let go of ski racing because it, it was kind of my connection to him. And I really, I really was trying to do it for him. So when I did leave the ski team, um, I was just super depressed. And again, I, I was also going through an eating disorder. I did not like myself. There, there was just a ton going on. And then that, and then that's when um, I raced for college one year, but then we're getting ready for the next year. And I got, I went to a race and I saw all these people just so aggro in the starting gate and had so much energy and fire. And I literally just had nothing. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. So I gave up my scholarship and I, I felt so bad. I'm like, I'm going to quit skiing. And it just broke my heart because it was really all I knew. And decided to go on a road trip. And I told my dad, I go, I'm, I'm, it was in December. I'm like, I'm going to take a road trip. I'm, I called it the never to ski again road trip. So I just wanted to go find people that I knew in different ski towns, try to have fun and then get into mountain bike racing and uh, find another sport. So on this journey, I ended up in Crested Butte and there was back then they called the extreme skiing contest. Now it's big mountain skiing and got there and people were talking. They're like, you should enter this contest. And I, I wasn't quite sure about doing it, but then um, I eventually did. And I was shown where all the girls went on this one venue in Crested Butte. And you cross over this like really gnarly rocky area and it's a chute and you go over into an open field and that's where the girls would ski. And maybe there's a rock or two to hit. And so my first run, I went over there just like all the girls and um, I did fine. I think I was in second place. And then I got to the bottom 
And there's a friend of mine who I grew up with, Shane McConkie, actually I'm wearing his hat. He was big into the contest and I ran into him. And so he was running later. So he's hanging out watching the first boys with me. And I had never seen a contest before. So now I'm watching the guys come down and they are just going in these rowdy terrain, the rocks and jumps and, and their technique was horrible. And I was looking at Shane, I'm like, I can ski better than him. Can I do that? And so I kept repeating that to Shane. And so finally he helped me pick out a line. We went up for our second run. All the girls went back into that zone and the camera crew didn't get me because they didn't know I was not going to go where the other girls went. So now it's my turn. I start going down. I'm heading right for the Rocky zone. And this is back when Crested Butte was one of the biggest venues for big mountain skiing then. And, you know, there's people with kegs and lawn chairs and barbecue and music and hundreds of people. And when they knew where I was going, they just started cheering and roaring. And I remember skiing down going, oh my God, this is so cool. And then I got to my little air that I was going to hit and I had to air into a straight line and then ski down the finish. And I paused for a second, which you cannot do today, but I was just taking it all in because it was just so amazing to hear all the energy down at the bottom when they knew where I was going. I stuck my line, skied down to the bottom and all these people came and surrounded me. And they're like, we've never seen a girl do that before. And I mean, this is people who have skied at this resort for years. Like the girls just weren't even skiing this area. And I remember thinking like, wow, okay, that's pretty cool. I know. I kind of just felt like this is my place now. And then I went off and I never quit skiing and I got into the big mountain skiing world and I actively tried to be that girl who was pushing the line and not just skiing the typical girl's line or, and I don't want to call it the girl's line. It was just, it was an easier line. Men can take it too. Right. So yeah, I just wanted to ski where it was a bit more exciting and testing my skills. And this is where my ski racing background, this really helped me in my big mountain skiing world. Cause I did, I would stand on top of something going, I've had the best training in the world. I have amazing technique. If those guys can do it, I, I should be able to do it too. So what's super fascinating to me is just listening to this is you, you have this Olympic pursuit, right? You know, first you have, you know, your original part, you get the Olympic pursuit. Then you have the, I'm out of this. So I'm going to try college. And then you're like, I'm out of college. I'm not going to ski again. But on this tour of getting out, you find this whole new love of skiing and you have this whole new passion for doing something that you find out you love and it could be the best in the world at ultimately that through it. I'm curious, you talked about all these challenges that you had, right? You know, from eating disorder and, and things from your past. How did you help deal with that stuff? You know, right? Because it's you went towards something that was being really active again and being successful with. Did it help you with that? Or did you still have to deal with those issues along the way? Yeah, the those issues subsided a bit more. Um, it's hard to get over an eating disorder. And so there were things that that helped me being happier. Like suddenly I was happier. Also being reconnected with skiing made me not so stressed about my brother and like thinking about him. So like when I was on the ski team, I made a point to, I had a girlfriend who passed away, who was a roommate of mine in a ski accident. So when she died, I realized I was thinking about her and I'm like, oh my God, I'm not thinking about my brother anymore. Like I need to think about him every day. So that also spiraled me into depression because I just dwelled on his death for a while. So yeah, just when I got into the free skiing world, the spark, the energy, the enthusiasm, everybody was so supportive. 
you didn't have to travel with who you didn't want to travel with anymore. You get to pick who you get to travel with. You didn't have, you didn't have coaches. You had friends who would help you give you tips or help talk about lines who really cared about you instead of coaches who you're assigned that they have to be your coach, but you don't click with them. Right. Like, and I didn't click with the A team coach on the US ski team. So I kind of felt like I don't even have a great communication camaraderie with this guy who's supposed to be my coach. And so now I, you know, you get to travel with you want, eat with who you want. People are laughing. People are so enthusiastic about this new sport and pushing it. So it just brought me back to life and um, it helped me definitely let go of this sadness of not just losing my brother, but also losing skiing. I still was suffering about like what I was putting in my mouth and how much I was working out, but it, it was not the noose that it was earlier. And then, uh, you know, and then when I won the, for my first world extremes, so I said, you know, I used to talk to my brother when I was a ski racer, he used to be like, throw me a bone, help me out here. Cause I was just skiing so bad. And he just never did. <laughs> and then, but in my, um, big mountain, my first extreme competition worlds up in Alaska, I was going into day three winning. And I used to always try to talk to my brother, like ask, like show yourself. And when people talk about ghosts, I'm like, I want to believe in ghosts, but I don't because my brother has not shown up yet. And I remember at the top of the line before my third run, and all of a sudden I just felt like this energy. And I thought to myself, I'm going to win. And I'm not a cocky, confident athlete. Like when I was on the ski team, even though I was a great racer and doing well, I never believed in myself. I would never owned it. And for me to think to myself, I'm going to win. I remember going, oh my God, I did not just think that that's so not me. Where did that come from? And so if I want to have like this divine moment, I feel like that was the first time I ever felt some kind of energy for my brother. And I ended up winning the contest and I've never felt anything again, but it was a crazy sensation. I've never felt that like burst of just positive energy that I didn't have control of. So anyway, just, yeah, when I got in the big mountain free skiing world, it literally saved my life. Like I went from a pretty dark place to starting to now crawl out of it and eventually, you know, definitely feeling better about myself and, and proud of my accomplishments and stuff. So today, when you look back, right, of those several different seasons like that you had through your career. What do you take away as, as important lessons you like to share with others? And part of this is you were talking about where you speak with others and you give them these insights of just because you're at the top of the world doesn't mean you're at the top of the world, so to speak. So what, what are some things you could share with our audience that can help them understand of in that pursuit to be the best, that it's not always easy, whether you're in the top, in the middle or at the bottom? Yeah. I mean, one thing I think help me is I'm kind of a goofballer. I can be, I can also be very shy, but I never been afraid of failing. Like I do not mind making a fool of myself to just try something, you know, also I just always had the attitude is of I'm going out here and I'm going to try to better myself each day. And if I do that, hopefully I reach a higher level someday, you know, and you're going to have setbacks. And yeah, I was speaking to you earlier that, um, you know, I give a talk to this running team and I was talking to them, you know, you might be the, an average athlete and you might get dis disappointed in your performance. And then you look at a top athlete who's being disappointed in their performance and you wonder like, why are they upset? I mean, they're, they're winning, but just that, you know, everybody, no matter if you're the best or the middle, you always, you want to, if you really care, you're trying to achieve 
higher expectations of yourselves, no matter where you're at. And I also tell kids, I, I was an underdog. I was not predicted to make the U.S. ski team or even the Olympics. So I tell people that you never know, you know, there's young kids like, oh my God, do you think they're going to be amazing? And I'm like, they might be, it depends on how much they stick with it. And do they get into drugs and alcohol? Do they decide that this was their parents' dream and not their dream? Or they stopped growing and they were a big kid. And now these other kids who were hungry because they were average and they learn this work ethic because they were just average and hungry and trying to get better. And it was easy for this other kid. This kid gets a growth spurt and then they have that energy to want to accomplish more because it maybe it was too easy. Like there's no right or wrong. I mean, to predict athletes or, or anything. I mean, I just think for me, uh, my parents supported me and they let me, you know, if I wanted to quit, I could have quit, but I definitely learned to put hundred percent energy into it. Also learned not to blame others. I mean, when I was on the ski team, and in other things, like I would just hear, oh, you know, the technician to do my skis right or this happened. It's like, no, nah, I mean, I have to own it. I kind of suck today, you know? And, and when I was going through all my stuff, I mean, I knew it was me. I knew I was struggling. And what's hard about that, and I also talk to people about, um, I had so many people trying to help me, like help me get over my eating disorder. And that's okay to take time off. Cause I didn't know how to relax. Like it needed to work out and every workout had to be a hundred and 50% or 200. I didn't know how to do the 12% day of like an easy day to let your body recover. And so people try to help me. I look back now and I'm like, Oh my God, that was just so stupid. But I, you just get so strung out in your head. You don't know how to let go of that. Unfortunately, even when you do try to get help or people try to help you, it still has to come at your own time. I guess that's just part of my journey to deal with it for so long. Now I let it go and I see how stupid that was in the moment. Like I, I could not release the anxiety and scaredness I had, if that's even a word of not working out and eating certain things, you know, you sometimes just have to be patient with people and, and try to show them the way, you know, and now, and, and also I talked to racing girls. So I gained 20, over 20 pounds working out really hard. I worked out one summer with the Sacramento Kings and it, basically I went from, this high school where I did tons of working out and I stayed trim and eating a lot to like pretty much like CrossFit, you know, heavy, heavy weightlifting. I would eat so much food. And so I gained this weight and it just, I was like, what the heck is this? I was a good skier before all this. And that's what got me to the Olympics. But that's also the trigger that flipped me to the other side of like, I need to start working out to lose this muscle. And I need to like working out a different way. And I need to stop eating and that body image thing. And this is before social media, right? So I totally fell in that body image thing. And so now I tell girls, I'm like, you know what, if I just maybe had someone say, Wendy, you, you've gained this weight. You're so strong. This only has to be for 10 years. Like this doesn't have to be you forever, but if you want to be the best in the world, this is the body you need to have and own it and be happy. But it, no one knew I was really struggling with it to even say that, but that's, that's kind of what happened. So I try to tell people that like ski racers are sprinters. We get a bigger body. And if you want to be the best, this is, and you really, that's your goal. You have a time frame, and then you can do what you want afterwards. You can diet and whatever that is. But so I just try to share that story with people. So when you, when you look, back at once again, the, the different seasons of where you were, and we're going to 
flip to kind of the future here in just a moment. When you now look back at it, and I'm going to leave it open, how did you measure success? Yeah, I mean, I, it broke my heart to not go to the 94 Olympics. I mean, I I feel like if I had my shit together and the the Wendy before all this stuff took me down, I think I could have. And that's easy. Yeah, that's easy to say. And that's just my own opinion. But it broke my heart that I let it go over just stupid things. You know, it didn't seem stupid at the time, but I look back and and so that broke my heart for a long time, even though I became successful and well-known and probably better known in my free skiing career than my racing career, I still held on to this. That was my upbringing. And it, it took me a long time to get over. But then I also reflected like, well, if I didn't have this breakdown and if I didn't, if I didn't leave the team when I left the, the ski team, I wouldn't been the girl who was in the limelight when this new free, free skiing career, uh, started. Cause it was really unknown still. I mean, there were definitely a little circle, a community of everybody who knew about these competitions, but it really blew up the year that I got involved. And, um, so I also look at it as that was my timing and how that is just my path to do that. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I am proud of both my careers and I mean, there's still even my free skiing career again, I've told people like, you know, I wish I did more in my free skiing career. And my friend's like, Wendy, you're one of the best. What are you talking about? But again, like I said, like, it doesn't matter where you are. You always want more. You wish you did this or that. And, but now um, I am definitely happy about my career and wish I, I, you know, you always are hungry for more. (laughs) So tell us, what are you working on now? What, what kind of major projects are, are keeping you busy these days? Actually, one of the things I had to get over, um, you know, we're talking about eating disorder and all that stuff. I also went through a pretty heavy depression. You know, I was depressed on the race team, but then when I got free skiing, that subsided for a while. But then I went on to become a mom and I have two wonderful boys. Uh, My youngest, Devin, is 15 and my oldest, Axel, is 17. I love them dearly. But if I was not, I wouldn't say I wasn't ready to have kids. I mean, I made that choice. But then I had to step away from my career. I mean, I guess I could have, there's ways that you can have a nanny or other people take care of them or whatever. And I was not, I wasn't, I was not a babysitter. I'd never held kids. I did not even think I wanted to raise them. But then once I was holding my own kids, I'm like, oh my God, no one's raising them but me, you know? And I I, I put a hundred percent effort into them. I love them dearly. But I also was devastated to not be able to keep doing what I was doing, which is skiing and filming. And that's why maybe I say I wish I did more because I felt like I stopped before I um, was ready to. So that that took a long time for me to kind of recover from. And then the social media thing, seeing all these girls who are now traveling the world and doing what I was doing, and I'm not a part of it anymore. And I still, even though I'm a lot older, I still am a, a confident, competent skier. You know, I still will hit cliffs and I'll still do hard lines. So I don't really feel like it was an age thing, but I just had to step away. And that took me a long time to get over. I'm over it now. I finally like pulled my head out of my ass. I tell people, I'm like, I pulled my head out of my ass and it's like, okay, 
I am this age. I'm not going to get back into it. I mean, and a lot of athletes have this. I mean, Michael Jordan left basketball and then he came back to basketball. Then he left and then he played bas- baseball. You know, like you're always craving and jonesing because that's, that's our lifestyle. So it's really hard to let go. But now that I look back, I feel like I've gone through a lot of things and I've pulled myself out of all of it. And so now I like to share it. So um, I do speaking engagements, but I'm trying to, I'm working with someone now to like hone that in and perfect it a little bit better. And I would like to start doing more talks, getting into life coaching. I hope by the end of the year, I'll be a life coach. I've been taking some, a course. And um, I also was working on a book project, but that's kind of on the side because there's just a lot going on right now. And uh, it's been summer where I'm at and I do events. And like you said, I DJ. So summer has been cranking. But I do like to share my stories. I am an open book to put that energy out there and make other people who may may feel the same things not feel alone anymore. And when I talk to, it's called Team Prep. It's a summer camp in Crested Butte where I live and they're runners. And I tell them all this stuff and they come up afterwards. And even years later, like, oh my God, you sharing your story really helped me with some of the challenges I've had. And, and again, when I start my talk with these athletes, I say, you need to listen to a lot of athletes because not all of you are going to connect with what I'm saying. Hopefully some of you will. And and I do feel like it connects with a lot of people though. So you have, uh, you mentioned you have two sons. It literally, uh, we had an interruption in the call while we were getting started. I was like, oh, my son just landed in New Zealand because he's getting ready. To, uh, he's in a ski, ski team. He's a, a top skier, it sounds like. And then you have your younger son who's in Oregon at a, an academy there as well, it sounds like, or a ski, a ski training organization. So there, it's really amazing that they're following, if you may, your footsteps. How does that feel? Does that give you pride or joy seeing them on the slopes? Well, it's funny. My oldest son, he was also in soccer and he's a goalie. He's 6'3 now. He's a big guy. I was trying to convince him to go the soccer route, honestly. I was like, you know what? If you become a top soccer player, you can play for so many different colleges. Or if you go pro, there's so many different level leagues. You can play for an international team. There's just, you know, to me, it seems like more opportunity than the ski team where only maybe 12 people get to be on the U.S. ski team in the United States. Like it's it's cutthroat. There's not a ton of colleges that you can ski for. So I was actually trying to, my husband and I, we got our kids into skiing and we put them into ski races because we just wanted to, grow old together with our kids being able to ski. It's a, it's a fun family sport that you can do when you're 80 with your 30 year old or 40, you know? So that was our mission. And we picked ski racing because I truly feel that it is such a great way to learn the proper technique because then you can do anything with it. Right. Like, you know, just cause I didn't grow up in big mountain doesn't mean I now can't go ski big mountain. But the both boys fell in love with skiing. Um, so yeah, Axel went on to go to a, a ski academy. It's called Apex 2100 and it's in Teen, France. And I know someone associated with the school and I, I was on, in a trip in Europe and I came home and I go, so I know someone who has a school in France and they wanted you to come check it out. But I just, you know, we don't know anybody. It's relatively new school don't know the coaches, no other athletes. And my son looked at me, he's like, I could live in Europe. And I'm like, yep. And he just went for it. And I was like, oh my God, you're so my kid. Like that's something I think I would have done. Like I, you know, he didn't need all these necessities of like 
knowing people in order to go there, like he just knew nothing. So I'm super proud of him and he's loved it. It's been a great experience. And then my youngest son quit ski racing. And there's a part of me that was like a little hurt, 13, 14, but you know, he got the foundation. I'm like, I need to let him do what he wants to do. And I could tell it's not in his heart to be a ski racer. And suddenly you know, he was more the quiet, shy one and, and he didn't love skiing a lot. And then all of a sudden the bug bit him and he became obsessed with it. And he came to me and said, mom, I want to go and just do park. And Crestview is a small resort. We don't have, you know, it's not a great park and we didn't have park coaches. And I'm like, I will find you a school and get you there. And so he, um, the coaches right away, I like, he used to be a ski racer. Like, oh my God, that's great. Like ski racers, they just know their body position. He'll pick up everything. So he went from like the lowest level in his grade to probably now the highest level in just one year. And his school is Y East and that's in Oregon up in, in your neck of the woods. It's just out outside of Mount hood. And so, yeah, I, they both have matured so much. And when I had my two kids, um, when they were babies, I already was telling everybody, I'm like, I want my kids to go away to high school. I felt like I learned so much and grew so much. I loved the experience where we live is a great, great community and it's a resort community, but to send your kids off at a young age to just go follow their dreams. Like, yeah, I, I definitely am psyched and proud that they both did it. And Devin, my youngest who went to Yais, he didn't know one kid either. We didn't know the faculty, you know, when your heart, and that's also what I meant to say earlier, when you said how I got through things, I just followed my heart and that's my personality. I get to a, a fork in the road and I just intuition will take me one way or the other. And I have kind of just lived my life by doing that. And, and I just don't regret it. You know, if something doesn't work out, I'm like, well, that was a learning lesson. I learned something from it, but now I'm going to go this direction. And I try not to let it get down too much. Everything's an opportunity to learn from whether it's positive or negative. And I mean, I guess I don't even want to say negative because I think you can make it into a positive if you don't let it get to you. Okay. So we just got a minute or so left here. Curious, just what is what is a habit or two that you've learned over the years to help you continue to be your highest performance? What are things that you consistently do even after being an athlete? Or you're still an athlete. I mean, people are watching on, on uh, YouTube right now. Um, this is a person who's still working out um, clearly today. What, what type of things do you do consistently to help make sure that you're at your best? I mean, yeah, working out, I've definitely gotten lazy lately, but um, I've tried to let go of the guilt of not working out because that used to be, it just used to bring me down and the guilt of failing. Like I've been wanting to be a speaker for a long time, but my faults that I'm not confident is like education. I wasn't great in school and writing. I don't trust my speeches. And am I doing it right? Like I'm coachable. I talk to people. I'm like, you're either coachable, not coachable. I need to be coached. I'm not someone who's just going to be confidently go off and do something without, I like reassurance. So I was not getting in the speaking world and it was kind of making me feel shitty because I, I felt like I was not pursuing something that I wanted to, and I was being lazy and this and that, but I kind of just finally admitted to like, I know I'm not doing this. I know the reason why is because I'm insecure with my writing and all this stuff. I need to go find someone to help me because I really do lean on people who I wouldn't say better than me or have that knowledge. So, you know, I try, learn to try to let go of guilt of when I'm not being successful and, 
I really try to be open and honest with myself. Like don't BS myself. If I'm being lame, I openly know I'm being lame and I reprimand myself or uh, just when something doesn't go right, I try not to blame it on someone else. I try to figure out how I can change it and, and make it better. And then, yeah, just trying to stay healthy because that is, you have one life and it's like, try to be healthy. So you just feel energetic and I don't like to sleep in. I still don't sleep in. My alarm is 645 every morning. And I just try to have fun and laugh and be carefree. Thank you. No, thanks for sharing that. Is there a, a, a book or some, an article or something that has inspired you that you want to share with our audience? Well, I did. Um, I don't read much. I listen. So I listened recently to Andre Agassi's Open guy. I thought that I, I was like blown away. Um, I, I liked that book a lot. It was amazing. And uh, Untethered Soul, The Power of Now. Those are two of the main ones that I really, I thought that was awesome um, to get that from one of your other podcast uh, people. Oh, and then Powder Days, it's this book and it's kind of um, on the history of the change of the um, industry and skiing in the last, you know, however many decades, but, um, and where it really is now, the ski world. So if you're a skier, it's definitely a good read. Wendy, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Measure Success podcast. I love it how you, you, you're so such an open book. You shared about so many different challenges and victories. And it's inspiring to me to just hear you just say how it is, you know, the good and the bad behind it. So I really appreciate everything about that. If people wanted to follow up and learn more about what you're doing or how to connect with you, what, what would be the best way of doing that? Well, my website, it's fishski.com. So it's um, F-I-S-H, like Fisher, my last name, and then ski. And um, I'm rework- I'm working on it right now. So it's kind of down, but trying to revamp it to have um, my speaking and life coaching. And then I do ski with clients still. So I can ski at any Vail resorts with people. So I do teach and I, I love teaching and trying to get people to be more confident. And I, when I'm skiing with people, I really am working on fear. A lot of people have so much fear level. And just to throw this out there really quick is I've been skiing for so long. I've taken horrible, nasty crashes, tumbled down thousand foot slopes. And when I do the contests, I've always looked at everything as I could get hurt. Like skiing's a dangerous sport. I'm going to get hurt someday. I mean, my brother died. Like I know it clear as day that there are things that can happen. And, you know, people are like, I'm afraid to do this because I might break a leg. And I'm like, well, whatever you break a leg. So my, my personality has always been like skiing's a dangerous sport. I'm putting myself out there. I'm going to get hurt. And I've never blown out my knees and I've broken nothing other than my thumbs. So I do, I don't know. I don't know if that's the way I think. And that's why, um, there's people who've seen me who can't believe that I've never been hurt. So I don't know, maybe it's the way you think and try to just embrace things. So I talk a lot about fear and and when I'm working with clients or or doing my talks. That's brilliant. Wendy, thank you so much for being once again, a guest on the Measure Success podcast. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this and thanks for having me. Absolutely. And to everyone else who's listening, uh, we're so grateful to have amazing guests like Wendy who are, who are on the show today. We just encourage you to continue that by giving us reviews on, on whatever you're listening to on your major podcast recording. We, we totally appreciate that. And as we always like to say, wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. 
Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.